in Pripyat. 49,000 people lived peacefully in a newly formed city, complete with schools, a railway, hospital, gyms and all the other amenities you would see in a city in 1986, until the 26th of April, where in just a couple of weeks it was left abandoned. A ghost town now remains, with a rusting ferris wheel and windowless apartment blocks. But what happened to the population at Pripyat? And why is there now a large metal dome on the horizon at Chernobyl? So pour your cuppers, because this is coffee and a slice of history, the Chernobyl disaster. Hey up and welcome to episode 17. Ellie here as usual. I hope you are all doing well. Not much to announce today. Just remember to check out both the podcast Instagram and Kofi pages. I'll put the links in the description. There's a lot of science in this episode, as well as the history, so it might be a bit of a hefty one to get round, but I've tried to explain it in a simplest way possible. So, without further ado, on with today's episode. It was the evening shift at Chernobyl Nuclear Power Plant in Reactor 4, close to the city of Pripyat, in the north of Ukrainian SSR. On the 26th of April 1986, a safety test was to be carried out During the day, however, it was delayed and instead it was decided that it would now be completed on the night shift. 160 personnel at the power plant were on this night shift. This was mistake number one of the disaster as personnel on the night shift weren't trained to complete this safety test like the day shift were. This safety test had to be completed and it had already been completed three times previous. Reactor 4 was completed in 1983 and the completion papers should have only been signed once a series of different tests had been completed. This final test was to find out what would happen with no power. The theory was that if there was no power and no water being pumped into the core, what would happen and how would it be accommodated trying to avert a nuclear disaster? How ironic. The scientific solution was that there was diesel-fueled backup generators that could be used. These generators took approximately one minute to reach the speed required to power the pumps and prevent a meltdown. The theory was that if the facility lost power, then the turbine, what was spinning, would take some time to slow down and to eventually stop spinning. The question was, could you take the electricity it was still generating and transfer it to the pumps in order to cool the core? until the diesel generators came on 60 seconds later. To test the theory, the powers that be decided that the reactor is placed on a reduced power mode. The reduced power mode was set at 700 megawatts to simulate a blackout condition. They would turn off the turbines and as they slowed down, their electrical output would be measured to see if it is enough to power the pumps. The chief engineer overlooking this safety test was Anatoly Dyatlov. He was well respected by the other nuclear engineers on the night shift for his extensive range of knowledge. However, he was feared just as much as he could be harsh and was insistent that they all followed his orders without question. On the fateful night, Dyatlov was sleep-deprived as well as being very ill-tempered. Another engineer in the control room that night was Leonid Toptonov. Only 25 years old, he was one of the youngest men in the room and had only been a senior operator for about two months before the disaster. 
and had never piloted the reactor into a shutdown process and a safety test before. As he took over the controls on the evening shift, he soon made a mistake, which could have been corrected. However, Chief Engineer Dyatlov insisted that they carried on with the safety test, even though young Toptonov suggested otherwise. This was mistake number two of the disaster. To understand more about what happened when everything went wrong, we need to know simply how a nuclear reactor works. The whole process is all about balance, and this balance should be maintained by the operators. There is a need to balance reactivity, or it will never stop. In an RMBK reactor, like the one used at Chernobyl, uranium fuel is used. The uranium splits apart and collides with each other. This is how the reactivity goes up. So to reduce the activity, boron control rods are used. As well as this, water goes through the core and the cool water takes the heat out of the system and it turns to steam or a void. To balance and counter this, a positive void coefficient is used. The more steam present within the system, the higher the reactivity, which in turn means more heat, which then means more steam, which this cycles round. However, if it weren't for a negative temperature coefficient, when nuclear fuel gets hotter, it gets less reactive. So fuel increases it and the rising temperature reduces it. This is how it should normally work. When uranium breaks down, it creates a new element called xenon. Xenon reduces the reactivity when the core runs at full power, which is 3,200 megawatts. It burns away the xenon before it can cause a problem. But there was a 10-hour delay to the test and reactor 4 was held at half power during this delay, meaning the xenon didn't burn away. Instead, it built up and poisoned the core, losing balance. So in reactor 4, the turbine slowed down without the operators controlling it below 700 megawatts. This stalled the reactor, so they then raised the power back to 700 megawatts. Reactor 4 is almost shut down and there isn't any way to turn back. At 30 megawatts, xenon is still being controlled, but is not being burned away. The reactor is therefore drowning in poison. Furthermore, the reactor isn't hot enough to produce steam, and the only way to safely raise the power from that state is to do it extremely slowly over the course of 24 hours. Therefore, they began to pull loads of control rods out many at a time halfway out but the power change wasn't going fast enough so they pulled them all the way out in total there were 211 control rods and they removed 205 of them only six stay in the reactor the fuel went cold so the negative temperature coefficient isn't weighing down the reactivity with the xenon poisoning the core the best they can do is raise the power to 200 megawatts the control rods are out, the emergency system is disconnected and the only thing keeping the reactor in check is the water and the xenon. They turn on the water pumps so the power was too low and the water was too high and the test was ruined and the results would have been useless. However, the leading operator wanted to carry on the test just so there was a completed test he report. They then got a report from the reactor's Scala computer system. Based on the absence of sufficient control rods, the computer recommended that the reactor was to be shut down. However, they continued. This was mistake number three of the disaster. 
The test began and the pumps are shut down. The pumps stop moving water through the reactor and the fuel is now unchecked by fresh coolant and the control rods saw the balance immediately switched in the opposite direction. Reactivity increases in less than a second. Inside of the core, water was quickly turning into steam and a void was being created and there was no fresh water to replace it. This increased the heat, it then increased the steam, which increased the reactivity. The remaining xenon decayed away and the power rose. There was nothing to stop it and it was turning into a huge power surge. AZ-5 shuts down reactors if it is pressed, then all of the control rods are inserted all at once. This is designed to stop the reaction. This would happen in usual circumstance, however... At Chernobyl, it wasn't no normal circumstances and the operators had pushed the reactor to the brink of destruction. The shutdown system had a fatal flaw. The fully withdrawn control rods start to insert back into the reactor. The rods are made of boron, which reduces the reactivity, but not the tips. The tips are made out of graphite, which accelerates activity. Graphite was used simply because it was cheaper. Therefore, the first part of the rods entering the core were the graphite tips, and when they did, the reaction occurring within the core skyrocketed. This was a contributing mistake to the disaster. Every last drop of liquid water converted into steam, which expands and ruptured a number of the fuel rod channels. The rod channels would move no further. The graphite tips are fixed into position under the endlessly accelerating reaction. Chernobyl reactor number four was a nuclear bomb at this point. The reactor was only designed to work at 3,200 megawatts, but the final reading was beyond this at 33,000 megawatts. The pressure inside the core couldn't be held back, then it exploded. The lid was blown off and oxygen rushed in and combined with hydrogen and superheated graphite, completing the chain of disaster. First on the scene after the explosion were firefighters. They were only wearing their usual helmets, jackets and boots. What they didn't know was that they were running into a near certain death. They had no idea that the reactor had exploded when they drove to the scene. Due to the size of the fire, the Chernobyl fire station radioed through to all fire stations within the area to come and help at Chernobyl. To get the water up to the roof and into the core, they had to physically lay out all the hoses used and it wasn't long before they started to feel the effects of the uranium from the core and they had to be rescued as their muscles were weakening and they were vomiting. Due to this dangerously high radiation readings, large amount of radioactive debris and materials were now airborne and scattered everywhere in the atmosphere and surrounding countries. It impacted other countries by a radioactive cloud which had formed and it was recorded by the World Health Organization that 7,722 square miles or 20,000 square kilometers was contaminated across Europe. As well as this, the city of Pripyat had to be promptly evacuated and the citizens relocated and convoys of buses were brought in to get the people out. They could not take all of their possessions and instead maybe a bag full of clothes, leaving the ghost town we see today in Pripyat fully furnished and decorated exactly how people would have lived in them.
To tackle the problem of the reactor, many scientists were brought together to try and find a way through the problem and to make it so it was safe to be anywhere near the site as well as making sure no more radiation could leak out. An exclusion zone was set around the site, around 19 miles or 30 kilometres in all directions, meaning only authorised personnel could be within the zone. To clear debris from the roof, civil and military personnel were called up to become what was known as Chernobyl liquidators. At first, radio-controlled vehicles were attempted to be used to clear the roof of the reactor into one area. However, the radioactivity destroyed the electronic components within them, so instead people were called up to physically shovel debris off the roof. They were timed as to how long they could be up there, as well as being layered with clothing, and their outer clothing was taken off and discarded, as well as the shovels they used were left and decontaminated. Another part of the clean-up project was to construct a large concrete sarcophagus or dome around the reactor. The crane operators piecing together this dome had to work in lead-lined cabins and receive instructions from distant radio operators. The reason this dome was built was to stop any more release of radioactive materials into the atmosphere. This concrete dome was predicted to have a lifespan of only 30 years, but it would do until they thought of a better solution. Then, in 2010, a new project was commissioned to yield a metal arch over the reactor on rails so that it could be slid across and closed over the top of the existing concrete dome. This is the dome that we can still see to this day. This new metal dome allows the reactor inside to be dismantled piece by piece, safely using remote equipment. A census completed after the disaster showed that around 30 people died from the blast and acute radiation syndrome. However, there has been much debate over the true number of deaths as there are people who suffered greatly with long-term illness solely caused by the radiation. For example, in Pripyat, there was a bridge over a railway line where people were stood as they watched the reactor explode and the sky glow. This bridge is known as the Bridges of Death, as there have been claims of death by radiation of people who were stood on this bridge during the disaster under what is known as Black Rain. Black Rain is darkened by soot from nuclear fallout from the radioactive cloud which plumed out. All in all, the unfortunate disaster was caused by reactor design flaws and simple human error, but it doesn't excuse that many people had to be rehomed and many lost their lives, fighting a fire and clearing debris from a reactor that shouldn't have exploded in the first place. Now, an International Day of Remembrance is held every year on the 26th of April, as well as a monument that plays tribute to the first responder firefighters who were exposed to high levels of radiation in the minutes, hours and weeks after the disaster.